HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Kateyama, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from our studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond the sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, and izakaya, but what, what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Elizabeth Sando, who already joined us three times on episode 18, 61, and 83, and talked about the essential elements of washoku, the unique concept of ichimoku zenshoku, and zukushi kondate, and Japanese skimono pickles, and I learned so much from her on each episode. And Elizabeth is a food writer and a Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo, and she has lived in Japan since 1966. And she runs the culinary art program called A Taste of Culture, which offers a great opportunity for non-Japanese people to explore Japanese culture through its food. So check that out if you have planned to visit Japan. And Elizabeth is also the author of six cookbooks, including award-winning washoku, recipes from the Japanese kitchen which is available everywhere, on Amazon and whatever. And today's topic is Japanese tableware, which is an important, integral part of Japanese cuisine. For example, if we have a formal kaisek dinner, each plate or bowl has a theme to feature the current season. And of course, seasonality is the foundation of Japanese cuisine. So today we'll discuss unique philosophy of uh, behind Japanese tableware, different materials, shapes and prints, and how to use them, and much, much more. But before we start, Japan Needs is available on Heritage Radio Network website as well as on iTunes and Stitcher as podcast. So please go to iTunes and Stitcher and subscribe to Japan Needs and please write a review. We appreciate your feedback. 
Also, if you have ideas about the topic of the show or show guests, please let us know. And you can email us at japanese.heritageradionetwork.org or kikokatema.com. So now let's start our conversation with Elizabeth Sandow. However, thank you. Yeah, welcome back. Thanks. So, uh, so what's the reason for why you came back to New York this time? Various. Uh, I often come back in the fall, and today, suddenly, New York has turned to fall weather. <laughs> uh, when I first arrived, it felt like summer, and I wondered if I had come at the wrong time. Mm, or maybe you brought the fall. Uh, maybe I did, because <laughs> fall has such wonderful tableware, among other things. Right. Um, there are special dishes, but... Um, the, the themes, uh, everything about the seasonality of fall. Uh, the Japanese often say that the fall is the most delicious time of year. Aki no mikaku. It's the time where all the really good foods are there. And uh, interestingly, some of the uh, chief foods have very special tableware that's mm. intended only for that food. Mm. Uh, okay, so we, we're going to go into yeah. various other things. So, so the history of Japanese tableware goes back, I heard, to the 6th century. And the nobles and riches developed unique designs and styles. And also tea ceremony contributed to refining the Japanese tableware as well. So, so before we talk about them, right. <laughs> how do you describe the typical Japanese meal compared to the typical Western meal? I think one of the biggest differences is this notion of okazu, the numerous dishes. Uh, typically, at least in America, and I think most Western cuisines, you find a single plate and lots of different foods are sort of heaped on top of it mm. in no particular order or pattern. Mm. There, there doesn't appear to be any significant guidelines for how it, how it gets done. Um, in Japan, very often, uh, a, each food is going to have its own vessel, mm. and it's going to be chosen to highlight the food, to make it attractive, and actually easier to eat. Mm. Um, and they're arranged uh, in a fair amount of space, um, often organized on a tray, but there are going to be lots of little dishes instead of one dish with right. lots of things on it. Mm. So I think, uh, you know, typically when we talk about Japanese meal, we say Ichiju Sansai, right. which I think goes back to Muromachi period right. of the 14th to 16th century. So basically one soup... Right. and three dishes accompanied right. by a bowl of rice. And I think that's the foundation. That's why. Right. And then when I grew up, you know, I was asked to set the table and the miso soup on right. the right, right and the rice on the left and the, you know, gazu <laughs> right. or the entree and uh, the side dishes in the middle somewhere like right. scattered around. And, and so there was order. You have to dip your chopsticks in the miso soup at the beginning right. so that... The chopsticks get wet, it doesn't stick to the rice, and the rice doesn't, you know, stay on your chopsticks. Right. And, <laughs> and also drinking, um, if your throat is dry, your mouth is dry, it's very hard to taste food. Mm -hmm. And so um, unlike a, a Western table, again, where there's a glass of water there and you can take a sip of it, uh, shiru or, or, or liquid is often just to, to wet your mouth mm. to also get ready to be able to taste right. other things that are there. But um, when I first went to Japan, um, clearly there was a re there seemed to be a reason why things were set the way they were, mm. although it didn't make a whole lot of sense right. <laughs> to me at the beginning. Um, and this notion of 
Kamiza, the exalted location, mm. as the lower left, and that the rice bowl always had to be there because that was a sign of respect mm. for rice, the people who grew the rice. Mm. Um, and it didn't belong on the right-hand side. It seemed to me to be more logical to put the rice on the right, and I was always corrected. It was mm. brought to the left, and the soup was always um, to the right. Uh, and truth be told, a table setting is a bit of culture, and any culture is what the people who practice it decide it's going to be. Mm. Um, the you know people ask why, and the answer is because. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And I, I didn't know that you know kamiza, you know rice is respected, right. and also you know. I think it's, of course, everything's based on right-handed people. But, yes. you know, you hold, if you're right-handed, you hold your uh, rice ball right. on your left. And then that's kind of, you know, like a holder. When you reach with a chopstick, you may drop something. So rice ball catches whatever you, you may drop. That's, that's true. <laughs> that's another difference um, that I hadn't realized until <clears throat> you mentioned it just now, that the Japanese actually hold the rice bowl and hold the soup bowl mm. in their hands while they're eating. Whereas in a Western table, the dishes stay put on the table right. and you take with your knife and fork and right. you bring it to your mouth. And in Japan, it's the other way around. You you drink directly from the soup bowl. Mm. You don't have a spoon where you're, you're uh, scooping it up. And from the rice bowl, um, you're holding it up and being able to bring other things um, on top of it. It's actually so much easier once you get used to the Japanese way, I think. Mm. It, you don't make such a mess. Right. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, you raised a very interesting point of using knife and fork right. because you need both hands, so you never lift your plates or bowls. And, mm. and also I heard that because you, because you lift the bowl or the plates, it's smaller. Yes, but also there's a feel to it. Mm. When I um, go to buy tableware, mm. I will take it in my hand and I'll feel it. And mm. if it doesn't feel right, even if I like the look of it, I probably won't buy it. I, I won't uh. add it to my collection. There's a certain comfortable weight. Mm -hmm. If it's too lightweight, it, it doesn't feel right either. Right. And um, interestingly... Uh, the mouth feel, or rather the lip feel, mm. when you bring a soup bowl to your mouth, um, wood or lacquer uh, coated wood, feels very different. Mm. Um, I remember when I went to Kanazawa for the first time uh, many years ago um, to do some research on lacquerware and how it was made, and being surprised the first time I ate ice cream with a lacquer spoon, mm. it it tasted different because it wasn't the the spoon wasn't cold. It, mm. it felt sort of silky and velvety, and um, soup. It, it's nice when it's hot, but it it doesn't um, hurt your lips to hold a right. Japanese uh, bowl, soup bowl, up up to your mouth and and drink from it. So it feels very different, mm, right? Because oh, that's interesting. Because you hold it, you put it on to your mouth too. Right. So that's a big difference. Yeah. Right. And it's a spoon thing, wooden spoon. Right. I personally purchased one really nice one. Right. I mean, it's not expensive, but right. it just fits me. Right. So that's almost the only spoon I used ever since. Yeah, metal metal um, instruments, utensils, uh, feel very different in your mouth. They conduct heat and cold, mm. and it's almost shocking to the food. You don't get a chance to, to taste the food the way it should be. And chopsticks and other wooden utensils, I think, are more gentle. Mm. They allow the flavor of the food um, to be enjoyed. Right. Yeah. 
Okay, so, and also I think uh, because you hold the ball, you know, the side design yes. of, you know, balls right. becomes more important, not just the inside too. Also, very interestingly, um, many bowls are, when the tray is set, turned upside down, and then you turn it around and ask somebody to fill it with the rice. Mm. So it's not filled with the rice necessarily when you get to the table. Mm. And so many rice bowls, the design is on the outside. Ah, that is true. And when you flip it over, there may or may not be something on the inside, but mm. the outside is what you see first. Right. Um, and I know in, during classes when I'm teaching in, in Tokyo, too, I have a drawer that has only um, rice bowls in there, and people can pick out the one that they want. Mm. And often they comment on the fact that when they turn it over, there's nothing on the inside. Mm. Right. Yeah. Well, we talk about uh, you know how to buy the Japanese table later, but yeah. you know, like so many great, fun designed yes. tableware. If you go to department stores, it's like you know, corner store. You right. can spend easily half an hour at the store. Mm, yes, I always have to. I always have to set myself a budget <laughs> when I walk in. Yeah, it's hard. Right. Okay. Um, so and also, um, well, well, let's talk about uh, materials because I think you know, knife and fork. We don't use knife and fork, so I think the Japanese table can be more fragile. Because you're not going to break it with metal, so... No, you're not going to scratch it with a knife or a fork. Right. But um, there are different there are different surfaces, and I think the Japanese enjoy that textural difference. Mm. So sometimes you have um, porcelain, which is very smooth and glass-like, mm. and sometimes you have very rough pottery, including unglazed pottery, like you would get at, you know, bizenware. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the... Uh, the natural moisture of the food can be somewhat absorbed into the mm. um, into the pottery itself, and sometimes you have to be um, a little careful when you first buy them. Um, you have to sort of prepare them for for mm. having food put in them, and usually the way to do that is to actually give them a bath in togijiru, the rice water, the the runoff water from washing rice mm. is starchy in a very wonderful way. It has just a little bit of the natural rice oils in it. Mm. And so when you um, give it a hot bath, it coats the inside of the dishes, okay. and then it won't get stained with the food oh, that you wow. put in afterwards. And oh. it, it gives it a nice gloss to it as well. Right. I think in the last episodes you told me about the secrets of uh, togijiru. Yes, right? well, it, I, I think it's liquid gold um, and people who throw out the water from washing rice. People who don't wash rice, I think, are missing out on good tasting rice. Mm. And uh, people who then don't save the togijiru, I think they're missing out also. That's like, <laughs> an interesting point because I think in the States, you're not encouraged to wash it because it's, no. you know, the, the nutrition... But you're not really losing nutrition. You're losing starch. Mm-hmm. And that starch can be used for other things. Right. But it gets in the way. It interferes with the flavor of the rice mm-hmm. when you're trying to cook it. It gets it gummy and sticky. Right. Yeah. So regardless where you are, you wash it. And they use the togijiru. That's right. the better way to do it. Yes, I think so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, so what kind of materials are used to make uh, Japanese tableware? All sorts. Um, almost always things that are natural. Um, different kinds of clay, and depending upon where in Japan, Japan's a relatively small country, but the various different kinds of clay, there are hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of clay, depending upon where you are. Mm. Um, some of it is more volcanic than others, um, certain minerals in them, 
And that will dictate to a large extent the way in which the finished dishes is made. Mm. Um, most people who are into food in Japan have um, a fair knowledge of the different kilns, the different places that make pottery in Japan, mm. and will often specify, for example, Bizen, the unglazed, is rather... Um, the Japanese word jimi, rather subdued, mm -hmm. um, but it makes food look gorgeous. Mm. It's almost a, like a wabi-sabi. Yeah, and but it, it really makes, rather than a bright dish, it makes the food look so much more beautiful. Mm. Um, and then sometimes you want, um, huggy has a sort of a gray and white chalky sort of mm. look to it, and that might be just the thing for a bright colored tomato salad. Mm -hmm. It's going to make it look better. So... You would pick and choose depending mm. upon what you were, the effect that you wanted. Sometimes you want contrast, sometimes you want a monotone, mm. um, and uh, different textures, different colors, uh, all through different uh, clay that, that's available. Mm. Um, leaves <clears throat> and uh, different kinds of wood, particularly bamboo, mm. uh, is used a great deal. Um, and also lacquerware. Lacquerware, mm. yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I went to see, um, you know, demonstration by Lacquer, you know, yeah. the craftsman. Right. It's amazing. Uh, truly amazing. How do people figure that out? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are so many processes. Um, and the lacquer itself is like sap from a tree. And um, it can be very irritating to your hands. Mm -hmm. So the people who first followed through on that idea. I mean, they must have had itchy hands and all sorts of other problems, but realized that it was worth doing again. I'm mm. not quite sure, but um, it's amazingly durable. And uh, again, the, the mouth feels, particularly if you're going to be um, uh, taking that either utensil, the chopsticks or uh, the bowl uh, to your mouth. Mm. It just feels so different. Mm -hmm. It makes the experience of eating different. Right. And for like, you know, like a New Year's special, you know, bowl, Ozoni yes. used to have a really beautiful, um, you know, bowl, lacquerware bowl, and it feels special. Yes, it is. And it's a slightly different shape. It's thicker actually at the bottom than it is at the part that where your mm. lips are, so that it's not difficult. You don't have to keep your mouth uncomfortably open it's mm. just slightly open to, to drink it but there's a certain weight um to the bowl yes we have we have separate ozoni bowls also yeah, yeah. so okay and uh, so you mentioned also you know um it's not uh, that concept of set you know set of 12 doesn't exist in japan not so no. many <laughs> and uh, usually it's mixed and match a lot concept. a lot of mixed and match five if there were a set it's probably going to be five uh, almost never four. The number four tends to be avoided in Japan. Because four means death. death. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, people who say, huh? I remind them of the 13th floor in America. It's mm. really there. It's just called 14. People don't like to call it 13. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's if at all possible, you avoid the number four. And when you can't avoid it, then you have two sets of two or three and one. Mm. Um, but you never really group them as obviously four. Sometimes there are three things down on the plate, and you'll put one in the middle on top of it, almost mm. like a little pyramid. And it's really four things, right. but it doesn't look like four. <laughs> so and probably um, Japanese tableware or the culture tend to prefer even number for... I think uh, odd numbers m more. Five, five very definitely is, is the norm in Japan. And it's interesting because the seasons are four seasons. Mm -hmm. So there are 
many pieces of tableware where the set are different motifs from each of the seasons, and mm-hmm. there's only four of them, so what are they going to do with the right. fifth? Right. Um, various yeah. different ways of accommodating that. Mm-hmm. So I meant odd, odd numbers. Yeah, so yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's interesting, because, you know, the otoso, right. the New Year's uh, right. cups never be four. No, they're only f- five. They're five. Three. So usually at New Year's, it's uh, the shochikubai, uh, the pine, the plum, and the bamboo. Mm-hmm. And then you've got tsurukame, mm-hmm. um, the, the symbols of longevity, the tortoise and the um, crane. Mm-hmm. And so the combination is five, but it's it's the three um, friends of winter. Right. And then you've got the two sort of um, special celebratory ones, or f- set of five. But increasingly in Japan, too, there is open stock so that you can purchase as mm. many as you want. Okay. That's more um, and sometimes the set is also the same pattern, but different colors. So mm. there's the five colors, red, yellow, green, black, and white. Mm. And that would be a, a set mm-hmm. by the Japanese notion of a set. Right. Yeah, yeah the five colors for health. That's another foundation of yeah. Japanese cuisine. So. Indeed. <laughs> right. yeah. And so, and also, like, you know, the seasonality we a couple times mentioned already. So um, how do, how, you know, the, how is seasonality expressed in Japanese tableware? Um, one of the things that I like, although it does increase the need to have more dishes in your cupboard, um, is the fact that there are certain foods that have their own dish. Mm. And in the fall, there's two, uh, samma, which is a long, narrow fish. Mm. And indeed, long, narrow plates are useful year-round, but you can't really comfortably put this long, narrow fish, unless you're going to cut it in half, on anything but a long, narrow plate. Mm. And the plate is called samma sara, mm. samma zara, um, or the samma plate, even though it's used for, for other things. And then there's a wonderful, it looks like a teapot, but it's not really, called a dobin. Mm-hmm. And um, the dish is dobin mushi and mushrooms. And the fall is just mm. wonderful mushrooms. If, if you have access and money for uh, matsutake, mm-hmm. the, the pine mushrooms, they're, they're wonderful. But pretty much any kind of mushroom is going to be mm. wonderful, steamed in this um, teapot. And it produces a broth. That you drink in a little cup. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a pot and there's a lid, and then on top there's a cup. To a pour. little tiny cup, yeah. Like and so you thing. stuff it with, you line it with kombu because kombu always makes things taste better, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you stuff it with lots of mushrooms and a little bit of uh, either water and or water and sake, usually a combination of the two, maybe a pinch of salt, mm. and you steam it. And as you're steaming it, it produces a liquid, and you drink the liquid. The broth is delicious. And then you can eat all the bits and pieces out of the pot. Afterwards. Right. right. And some people put um, seafood in there. Some people put chicken in there as well. Mm. But just mushrooms are, are right. wonderful. Like you said, you said a matsutake, you know, it's in the season. It's like right. a truffle. Of Japan, and yeah. when I see dobimushi, oh wow, it's fall. Yeah, it really, it really is. And I just switched over my kitchen culture page on my website, and if people go there, they can download a recipe for it. Oh, really? So if you go to tasteofculture.com and look at the kitchen culture page mm-hmm. and click on that, you'll see 
a lot of information about Dobie Mushy, including some pictures of different mm. ones. And then there's a recipe you can download. For cool. It. So I'll yeah. put uh, the links to on our show page. Good. And uh, yeah, I really I think I want uh, listeners to see what Dobie Mushy is. Pretty much the summary it's of Japanese yeah, food culture. It's, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Mm. So other thing I I think uh, is unique about Japanese concept that's you know the plating right. of it's it's unique like. And I think I started to see in Western cells a huge plate, and just right. uh, on the one side there's a little bit of appetizer, the kind of plating. Right. So the 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 notion of um, uh, nothing being something, and um, making that part of the design, uh, the Japanese refer to it as yohaku, mm. and um, it's not filling the plate it's almost what's not filling the plate is as much a part of um the the central design as anything else in the formal kaiseki meal there's uh, a course the hasun course where typically there's just two possibly three things that are are located in this Larger mm. space, but it's right. so Hassan. Basically, it's it's a the, the name Hassan is a measurement twenty four centimeters, twenty four centimeters, and I think like four inches, four inches, a square. Right. It's a square, right? Yeah, it's a huge plate, but only place only two, 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 two things. things. And usually, it's something um, umi no sachi, something from the waterways, and yama no sachi, something from the land. Mm-hmm. Um, not always one than the other, but usually one is upper right and the other is lower. Left mm-hmm. and the rest of the space is is not filled, so it's the positive use of negative space. Mm. Um, and I think that it was very intriguing to a lot of Western chefs, mm. and they played around with it. Right, because um, if there is a black, you you have more of a white. The same idea of this a blank, you you understand right. there's something there. Right, mm. um, and. Some people think it's because there might be a design on the plate that you don't want to cover with food so people can see it. That's rarely the case. This notion of yohaku, of of this Mm -hmm. negative space being used positively, is nothing filling that space. It's the fact that it's blank Mm -hmm. that makes it attractive and makes the food, your eye look more at the food and appreciate it Mm -hmm. for what it is. So maybe that's uh, minimalist, less is more. I think so, yeah. Mm. And also, you know, one thing that, like if you just have a sashimi, you know, depending on where you go, what kind of, how many dishes, how many pieces of fish you have, there's a flow of, you know, how you cut it and how make a flow or just that centered around or scattered around. It's almost like a landscape. Mm -hmm. And um, typically things are going to be higher, taller in the back and lower in the front. And I guess you could liken it to, especially if it's fish, a stream swimming in mm-hmm. the foreground. Right. And you've got maybe a, a hill or a grassy mound in the background, maybe even a mountain, right. um, depending upon um, how thinly you can slice um, your dike want to make it into one of these very tall mountain-like right. mounds and not have it fall apart on you. Mm. Um, there's a skill to that, but it's hard to describe on radio. Yeah. <laughs> well, just, you know, the, the, there's a word, shake, right? right? Shake is like you can't own that view, but you see that view from the nature as if it's yours. Yes. So it's kind of summarized on the plate, like, you know, the... And the higher side looks like a mountain, and the lower side is like yes. ocean. That kind of right. things really summarizing. It's also it's interesting that um, there's a particular point of view, and that point of view is the person who's eating. Um, it's not symmetrical. 
it's it doesn't look the same mm-hmm. from other places. There's a very special view from where the diner is sitting, mm-hmm. and I think that that perhaps is perhaps is different too. Other cuisines, especially those where you might share it, you know, it's a, one of the round tables that's being rotated around. It has to look good from all angles, mm. whereas very often for Japanese food, it's a very specific point of view. Mm. Um, and, and creating that point of view for the person who's going to be eating. Right. Right. right, you never mistake make a mistake on serving. You never be served with the wrong side. In no, Japanese no, you, you you wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about um, unique bento boxes which you may want to use for your lunch. So please stay with us. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Whole Foods Market believes in seeking out local, fresh, and seasonal food and in supporting local farmers, makers, and the community as a whole, economically and agriculturally. Whole Foods Market believes in food that is vivid and colorful, fresh and full of nutrients. Food that connects you to your body, the seasons, and to nature. Food that helps you do more, sleep better, and wake up happier. Found in over 400 locations throughout the United States, Whole Foods Market only sells food that meets their standards, which means no artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or sweeteners, ever. Whole Foods Market believes in real food. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs, uh, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, and my guest today is Elizabeth Sando, a food writer and cookbook author and a Japanese cooking instructor based in Tokyo. So now let's talk about bento box. Okay. Um, I think it's interesting that a box is obviously portable, and probably it began needing to carry food from one location to another. Um, but the various different styles of boxes, whether they're layered or stacked, or whether it's a single layer, mm-hmm. and whether they're divided up, um, there's all different kinds. And there are some occasions where certain ones are expected, for example, a jubako, the stacked ones at New Year's time, mm-hmm. and whether you've got two layers, three layers, four layers, five layer, layers even, um, and you can pass them around. They're very practical, um, mm. and one layer on top of the other sort of forms a lid. There's only a single lid for the whole stack, mm-hmm. but when you open it up, you can pass around the different layers, and it's almost like passing around a platter. Um, the way in which you divide that space uh, changes somewhat with the geography of Japan. The folks in the Kansai area down in Kyoto and and Osaka tend to arrange food slightly differently Mm -hmm. than the people up in Tokyo, the old Edoko style. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the uh, Tokyo area tends to be more uh, geometric. Mm -hmm. It looks almost like a uh, a mandarin painting, mm. the way in which it's it's 
sectioned off, whereas down in the Kansai area, it tends to be more flowing, less mm. less contained um, in there. And uh, within uh, the single-layer boxes, uh, the most sort of classic is something called a shokado bento, mm-hmm. which is uh, four sections we just spoke about four not being a great number but one is always rice mm-hmm. so it's three and one <laughs> it's like you know there's a the cross in the middle and right. divide into right. four sections and mm, there's no hard and fast rules about what belongs in the other three the mm-hmm. rice belongs in the lower left right. but um usually those things that might be challenging to eat would be in the lower right because they don't have to travel as far with your chopsticks because mm-hmm. you wouldn't pick up the whole box Right. Sometimes inside, um, <clears throat> excuse me, inside the box, there might be small dishes that you could lift up individually. Mm-hmm. But usually, if there's something um, difficult to eat, it's going to be in the, in the lower right. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, uh, nimono is going to things that are simmered are going to be probably clustered together. Things that might be fried would be clustered together. There might be an arrangement of tempura, mm-hmm. and there might be uh, various different aimono things that are tossed together mm-hmm. um, in another section. And it's a great way of organizing an entire meal, mm-hmm. but in a single container. Uh, for the person who's preparing it, um, there's two challenges and two advantages. Um, the challenge is uh, to be able to make food that is uh, can be served at room temperature. You can't put anything terribly hot mm. or terribly cold right. in a box. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has to be good at room temperature. And that's also one of the advantages that, indeed, you don't have to worry about last minute heating things up right. or making sure that it's it's very chilled. Mm. Uh, well, it's interesting that, you know, um, for the osechi, the Japanese right. New Year's food, is made, I think, probably because house fires don't have to work the first three days of the year. So it's temperature it's, safe. You don't have to reheat right. anything. And that's one thing. And also, you know, that, as you say, that's on top, there's one lid. So you, you open it. It's just so many colors. Yes. And you, you, you know, kind of like hold your breath like, wow. How beautiful is it? It it really is like um, a canvas on which you're making a painting. And I think that's perhaps one of the things that got me really intrigued um, many, many years ago. Here in New York, I was at the High School of Music and Art as an art major. Mm. And um, I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I often think that one of the ways of of, um, getting the artistic... Uh, sensibility of me is being able to to paint this picture mm. uh, on the canvas, and then the fact that you can serve it and eat it, and people can enjoy the taste of it is yet another um, pleasure that that comes with it. Mm. Um, and also, I see um, sometimes on Facebook, there's a crazy you know mother's bento for kids, a very good competitive, yes. like a panda or Hello Kitty to everything. Well, this whole the, also the the karaben these characters and being able to paint. Interestingly, uh, nori the the sheet of um, Laver sea people say it's seaweed. It's not really weed, but um, that's used to roll sushi. Mm-hmm. Can be cut with scissors, mm. and you can make stencils out of them. Right. And so there are these very elaborate sort of <laughs> shadow cuttings that are then laid on top of rice, and you get these very elaborate. Right. Um, you get up like four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yes, yeah, assemble. Right. Yeah, and I heard that there is a. My favorite type of uh, bento box is called magewappa. Uh-huh. And I heard it's becoming more popular. So magewappa, basically, it's uh, 
you know, uh, it's a cedar or cypress or some thin wood and boiled to mm. very higher temperature. So it's easier to, you know, bend. Right. And then you use very technical craftsmanship to make it. Uh, it's incredible. I took a trip to the, uh, to the Tohoku, uh, and the Tohoku region is known for its magewappa, mm-hmm. um, and was actually at the studio of, of one of these craftsmen, and completely amazing. Again, whoever thought to do that. Mm. It's interesting that um, it's similar almost to making a musical instrument like a violin or a cello that, that curves mm. and apparently the technology is fairly similar. I'm, I'm not all that familiar with how musical instruments are made but um, some of the closures on the, ba- the magewapa, uh, there are no nails it's woven Wow! so it's, the edges are cut mm. and woven into each other and some of them are also lacquered on the inside. Wow. They're really beautiful. And slightly high maintenance, but definitely worth it. Mm. You have to be sort of careful. They're not something you can put in the dishwasher. Right. Um, never. Never. And um, not even the rough side of a sponge. You'd have to be fairly careful with mm. it. But they're, um, they're gorgeous. And the aroma, I'm so glad you mentioned that, um, very often, um, whether it's bamboo or various different woods that are in the cedar family, mm. they have an aroma to them right. that is hard to describe but makes the food taste better. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I mean, sometimes, you know, sake's wooden cup can be too harsh, but, you know, wooden bento box is so much more subtle. And I like the smell that gets to rice. Yes. And... Um, in the old days, um, there were woven reeds for bento boxes as well, especially in the summer, to allow mm. air to get through. Okay. Um, and um, there's all sorts of, of wonderful uh, paraphernalia sold nowadays uh, for bento boxes and also the cloth to wrap them in mm. that then becomes sort of like a, a, a placemat right. um, afterwards. Mm. Yeah. So I, this is kind of a slight uh, deviation, but, you know, okay. it, I, one of the main items for on, uh, bento is onigiri, right? Yes. And the, lately there's a crazy invention called onigirazu. Right. Do you know what it is? Uh, it originated in manga, the world of, of manga, and uh, Cooking Papa mm-hmm. was the manga, and it, it, it's a comic book about um, a single father who mm-hmm. was making um, lunches for his kid, and rather than, I'm not sure it really takes any less time and effort, but <laughs> he spread out a sheet of, of nori, and he placed some rice on it, and then took the edges and folded them over pressed it down to make a little package out of it Mm -hmm. and then cut it in half and when you do that it looks almost like a sandwich and instead of bread you've got the nori on the outside Mm. and then you've got your filling on the inside they can be very elaborate and really interesting designs can be made um, depending upon the angle at which you put the rice to the the square of the Mm -hmm. nori actually I gave one to my friend and I saw you know, the whole family using right. it, so I got one for myself. Wow. And it's really, I think the advantage is your your hands are not so sticky with the right pieces of rice. Right. And then also you can put quite a, you know, bulky, substantial thing and pack it so nicely. De- definitely more rice goes into nigirazu mm-hmm. uh, and... Um, 
the nigiru means to compact, and nigirazu means you don't have to do that, right. which means you don't have to shape it in your hands. Mm-hmm. You're still compacting it, but it's instead you're just putting weight on top of it. You're flattening it out. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a uh, you know for kids who may be interested in cooking, making something. It's like it's just fun too. It's a lot of it, it's a lot of fun. Right. Yes. So it's onigirazu. So yes, I, I, I should be commissioned for by that. <laughs> it's really fun. So right. anyway, so um, so what about uh, chopsticks? That's another important piece. Oh, my chopstick collection. Um, Chopsticks are so useful. As a matter of fact, each time I come back to America and I'm presented a salad with a knife and a fork, I just don't know how to eat them. Um, (laughs) How can you spear a piece of lettuce with a fork and get it in your mouth without Mm. getting everything all over you? (laughs) It's so much easier to pick it up with chopsticks to sort of pluck it. Um, But chopsticks have been part of the table setting in Japan from... The picture, when often I do slide presentations, there's a picture of a 12th century banquet Mm. um, that indeed has this huge bowl of rice on the lower left and lots of little things uh, behind it. And then actually there are condiments or flavorings, seasonings to the right. And at that time, the 12th century, there was still a spoon, but it wasn't for like soup. It was for scooping up Mm. things like salt and other condiments that you were going to place uh, on on your food. So... It, it certainly chopsticks date back at the Japanese table at least that old and probably a whole lot mm. older um, than that. They're always to the left, whether you're a righty or a lefty. But you know, when people don't stop to think about it, when they set a table um, in America, whether you're right-handed or left-handed, the fork goes to the left and the knife goes mm. to the right. Why? Because um, <laughs> that's the way you do it, and you can switch hands afterwards but when you're setting the table Mm. that's the way the table is set and the chopsticks are set down towards the diner they're horizontally they're not vertical they're always horizontal and the tips that would go in your mouth are always pointing towards the rice bowl right yeah yeah it's always and it creates the flow on the table it does, and it's it's inviting. It, it it urges you to pick them up and to start eating. Right. Um, but chopsticks can be made uh, primarily of different kinds of, of wood and lots of different designs, patterns, mm-hmm. uh, colors. And again, it's it's fun. I have a whole drawer just devoted to chopsticks and <laughs> chopstick rests. Right. And um, I change it over about four five times a year. Um, most people change clothes in their closets. Mm. Um Lots of people, not just me, but lots of people also change over their tableware. Mm, how many pairs do you have? Lots. Uh, I, I Probably thousands. <laughs> probably thousands. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's, it's fun, especially the chopstick rests. During the summer, I have wonderful little uh, slices of watermelon that have a bite taken out of them, and that's just where the chopsticks rest is mm. where the bite was. Okay. And also I have fans that you could cool yourself off with different designs <laughs> and things made out of glass, which sort of you can imagine ice tinkling and it cools right. you off. Um, in the winter, I have lots of different mushrooms, different kinds of mushrooms. Mm. I have lots of different kinds of fish from different times That's of so year, fun. including I have some uh, um, on a grill mm-hmm. that becomes the chopstick rest. Okay. <laughs> so sometimes when I serve the sama fish, I'll serve it with right. the chopstick rest as well. Yeah, it's a lot of materials like cedar, cypress, and ivory to anything. And I, 
you know, I last time I went to Japan, I spent mm. literally 45 minutes to pick a pair of chopsticks. There's a, like a specialty shop. Right. And I realized the variation, you know, of course, how you feel in your hand, also right. how small the tip is. Yes, and whether it's square or round, mm. increasingly there are ones that are sort of square at the very end, and they're actually much easier to pick up things that might be slippery. Mm. So for, for noodles and things of that sort, sometimes I'll use the ones that have the edge, mm -hmm. the, the very tip that's, that's sort of square. Right. Also, the length of them compared to the mm. size of your hand. Right. Um, they come in various different lengths. Mm. So, by the way, you know, the holding small thing, right. I... I really find it most useful. When I find a tiny eggshell, right. when you crack an egg, I was like, yes. oh my God, this is, how can I get it? Spoon never works. Never works. Chopsticks. Chopsticks. Absolutely. In a second. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so easy. And um, the other is um, olives in a jar. Without having to pour out all of the liquid, you can get mm. into a very narrow, tall jar and just pull out the piece that, that you want. They're very useful. Yeah. And they say... I don't know. It's true, yeah. but that stimulates your brain. I'd like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, anyways, uh, so many things to talk about. But right. uh, one thing you cannot miss is how to take care of Japanese tableware. There are some pretty high-maintenance items. And unless you're prepared to maintain them, you probably shouldn't. Um, you should let other people buy them and go to their house to eat. Mm. Um, <laughs> some that require this bath before you're going to be using them, particularly ones that are unglazed or have a sort of a crackly kind mm -hmm. of glaze where there's exposed clay. Um, and in order to make sure that the food doesn't stain the dish mm. and that... Um, also, the flavors don't come through. Right. Um, you do need to give them this bath in an oily, starchy liquid, mm -hmm. and that will enable it to seal the edges okay. so that it won't become a problem. Um, and those kinds of dishes also obviously can't go in a dishwasher. Right. right. Very, so the very bath, hot water. Right. The bath is basically the, you know, washed rice. I mean, the, the, the water that's run off from washing rice. Mm -hmm. And if you don't wash a whole lot of rice and, or, and you want something else instead, I would say cornstarch mm. and a little bit of vegetable oil Interesting. in the water. Mm. Um, rice has natural oils in it. Um, and it will uh, take care of it. Um, others, things like lacquer, if the temperature is too dry, um, it will crack. And you need to be able to moisten it. Mm. And sometimes in Japan, they'll do that by putting a slice of daikon in, for example, a jubako, a lacquered jubako. Mm. When you're not using it because you don't use it every day, right. you would put a slice of daikon or perhaps apple or pear in there. And the natural moisture from the vegetable is enough to be able to ah. keep the lacquer from, um, from cracking. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Other, if you make sushi and you have one of the handai, the, the wooden tubs, you definitely have to wet that down frequently. Mm. Or again, um, put it in, if, if you keep it too wet, mold will grow in it, but you do have to be able to monitor it. And so mm. um, if you're not prepared to do that, you probably should use just an ordinary bowl or you shouldn't be using things that require mm. um, a whole lot of extra effort. But there are um, also scratching up. So when I stack them in a drawer or in a shelf in a cupboard, I will often put a, a piece of cloth or mm -hmm. paper in between um, uh, the layers mm. to make sure that, uh, especially rough pottery, one does not scratch 
um, the right. other. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so this is my last question. So, so where can you buy Japanese tableware? I mean, it's, you know, here it's it's hard in the states, but if you go Anywhere. to Japan, you can go lots and lots of places. I have everything from um, you know handcrafted. And uh, Mono Hanako, uh, Hanako-san does wonderful stuff down in Kyushu. She's got a wonderful website. I've got a lot of her stuff. Um, not terribly expensive. I think very reasonable for, for what it is. And then I also have the 100 yen shop. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of stuff in the 100 yen right. shop that, that can work as, as well. Yeah, I even also have regular supermarkets. Sells. Supermarkets, yeah. And I would also encourage people to look again at just your plain white round circle and think about it differently. Mm. <laughs> you know, your plain white plate. Maybe you can break up that space by putting um, certain things in little dishes on top of it. So mm. in other words, using it as, as a, almost as a tray rather okay. than as a single um, platter. Um, but there's all sorts of, of possibilities. I often will be sketching something out, and it's a way of helping me organize a menu mm. at the same time. Right. So even yeah. if you use a regular Western porcelain white dish, you can play differently in the Japanese Think style. differently, yeah. yeah Think differently. Imagine, imagine a different way of, of presenting your food and think of sort of clustering different dishes and right. different things mm. together. I tend to use uh, Western style. <laughs> so I, I should... Think yeah. about it tonight. Okay, good. <laughs> right. Okay, so uh, thank you for joining us again today. Thank you. All right, so and hopefully you'll be back, back here soon. I hope so, yes. <laughs> Indeed, we could talk about all sorts of wonderful things. Right, so listeners, if you have any request, uh, um, any request of the topic for Elizabeth, please send us an email. Uh, it's japaneseheritageradionetwork.org and uh, any other topics, suggestions as well. So, uh, so if you would like to know more about Elizabeth's projects, please visit tasteofculture.com. That's one word, tasteofculture.com. And Japan Needs is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritagevideonetwork.org, iTunes, and Stitcher as a podcast. And today's show is made possible by Whole Foods Market. And uh, engineer is David Tor Harsh. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.